Super excited to jump right into the message this morning. I get the privilege of introducing you guys to our speaker today. This guy is the real deal. Known him for many years. He's invested in me and my wife on personal level, ministry level, on every level. And can't say enough about the ministry that comes out of his life, out of his family. Uh, they are an amazing couple. And they do incredible ministry all over the world, travel minister, releasing, training, equipping. And I've just got to tell you, it is going to be an amazing morning. I hope you are ready. I hope you've got something to take notes with because I'm telling you, God is going to not only speak to you, but he's going to deposit something in you this morning. Let's give a big destiny welcome to Pastor Chris Estrada. Wow, good morning, church. Please be seated. It is so good to be back in Oklahoma City. Um, I have missed the South since we moved to California. Uh, I miss sweet tea. I miss Cracker Barrel. I miss Chick-fil-A. You just don't know what you have until it's gone. You know what I'm saying? And so I uh, have just totally enjoyed uh, just the time I've spent uh, eating gluten while I'm out here and everything else. So, because uh, in California, see the big difference is when you move to California, you have to put effort into finding something bad to eat. Because I live in Orange County, and of course everybody walks around like, you know, if, if you eat gluten, you've just immediately just destroyed your whole life. And so, uh, I'm like from Texas. I'm like where we kill what we eat the same day. You know what I'm saying? Like that's who we are. And so, uh, but it's just so good to come back, more importantly though, that may be with family right here at Destiny. Come on, how many were impacted by this weekend's conference? It was insane, it was incredible. Even last night, just felt, and by the way, I am not sick. Um, I just actually was speaking in an arena uh, a couple nights ago, and if you know anything about speaking, um, they don't put monitors in stadiums and arenas, and so my voice is just trash. But I'm still going to preach like I've got a full voice. I'll tell you that right now. Um, but I, I am just so honored to be back uh, again with the legacy that's represented here in this church. You know, one of the things that when you travel a lot is you look for longevity in the support staff and even in the leaders that are there. You look to see if the same faces are there and it will tell you what kind of health factor, what kind of environment it is. And it just seems like every year when I come back, I can expect Zach and Haley and the, uh, the whole Neeson clan and tribe and everyone else in between uh, uh, to come in and just be here. And I think that's a sign that this is a great church. I'm gonna just put it to you like this. You people are spoiled up in this church right here. All right, first off, you got great worship. Come on, give it up for this worship team. Just love the whole team, especially Christy. Not only can she sing, but she can cook. My goodness. I'm glad you put a ring on it real fast. Um, but uh, I just, just the overall what God is doing in this house is just incredible. Um, but I, I believe that I'm meeting a lot of new friends this morning for the first time from the stage. And so let me share my story with you so you know where I'm coming from. I grew up on the border of the United States and Mexico. And so uh, if you've heard anything about that area, you've probably heard about it for all the wrong reasons. If you've heard about it, you've probably heard about the drug wars, the cartel killings, the trafficking that goes on. Okay, those are all my cousins. Okay, so um, I apologize in advance. But um, I, I'm, that's the type of environment that you grew up in. And so it wasn't long 
till I was a preteen and I found myself with a drug addiction, a lust problem, and an anger issue, but I love to play basketball. And I got invited to go to a church camp at this church. And on the first night of that camp, I got saved, I got filled with the Spirit, and I got called into ministry all in one night. It was a game-changing night for me. From that point forward, I went to Bible college. God had put a massive call on mine and my wife's life. And uh, we leaned in, yes, after doing, uh, we were the internet sales directors for every luxury car company except Lamborghini in the Dallas-Fort Worth market. So we had made financial goals that most people retire at, and we were only 21, and she was 22. Come on, older women. And so uh, I, 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 I can tell you this right now, it doesn't matter how wealthy you are, if you're not in the will of God, you'll be miserable. So God says, hey, I want you to sell everything you have, I want you to give it all away, and I want you to move to Sri Lanka. Now, how many know where Sri Lanka's at? All five of you, that's great. Okay, so Sri Lanka is 40 miles south of India in the middle of a civil war. I remember mortar shells blowing up down the road from my home. I remember suicide bombers bombing the hotels we would stay in, and they would find uh, missionaries and take their life and then spread, dismember their body and spread those body parts all over with no one going to jail. But in the middle of all that chaos, God was still raising up his church, and we were seeing daily salvations, signs, wonders, healings, miracles. It was incredible. We came back and uh, uh, we took over student ministry and a lot of what I, I said this last night, a lot of what I see here at Destiny is a lot of what I see in our youth ministry. And uh, we just had this sweeping revival come through and then I got a call from Christ for the Nations. Uh, it said, would you come and raise up leaders? So the last decade of my life, I have spent raising up the next wave of influencers, especially out of this millennial crowd. For whatever reason, people just don't know how to work with millennials. Not this church, but most places, most organizations don't know what to do with the rising generation, probably because they've never worked with them as heavy as you guys have a day in their life. And the last 10 years, that's what I've spent doing, watching God use them in every area from politics to missions to pastoring churches to being youth pastors to business. It's been incredible. And just this last January, my wife and I made a big shift and we moved to California, left everything on the table that we had out in Dallas and moved to Orange County. And we now get to serve an amazing vision in ministry called Missions Me. And uh, I... Uh, and rather, than, I don't know if we still have the video. Uh, are we good on that? Is it good? I don't, somebody tell me if it's good or not. I don't know. Um, I'm just going to assume that it's good. All right. Uh, but uh, we have a video for you. Just, it's better if the video explains it. Uh, not because I can't, but there is so much that God entrusts us with. Our vision is to unite the global church for the salvation and transformation of nations. This is missions on steroids. This is missions like never before. This is a new era of taking over nations and seeing God begin to demonstrate his goodness and his authority all throughout a nation and watch how the church unites and the church becomes one. You know, the final prayer of Jesus wasn't that we would just be blessed or wasn't that we would be powerful. It was that we would be one. Because he knew if we were one, we would be unstoppable. He knew if we were one that, that we would be able to implement the kingdom of God and advance it further and further through the channels and the levels of covenant that we are able to create. This is why we have seen the church that has been so fragmented by uh, competition and territorialism. All of a sudden this healing and this cohesiveness starts to come on the church and we are starting to see nations just begin to bow and begin to impact and begin to transform. And so I, I want you to 
point your attention to the screens and watch this video real quick. Nearly 3,000 years ago, the prophet Isaiah asked the question, can a nation be saved in a day? Can a country be changed in a moment? We believe this audacious question has been answered. In late 2011, President Lobo Sosa of Honduras opened the doors of his government to a new missions era. The nation, overrun by violence, was desperate for hope. After two years of strategic planning and preparation, One Nation, One Day was born. In July of 2013, the largest missions team in history gathered in Miami, filled three chartered 747s, and were strategically placed in every state across Honduras, with a goal to reach every person in the entire nation. For one week, medical brigades, humanitarian teams, school ministry teams, and national leaders' conferences impacted hundreds of thousands of Hondurans. At the end of the week, Honduras gathered in the 18 largest stadiums in 18 cities simultaneously for a moment that would shift the course of the entire nation. Father in heaven, we invite your kingdom to come to the nation of Honduras. In a moment, the global church stepped into a new missions era. In 2015, the One Nation, One Day vision spread to the Dominican Republic. The world watched again as One Nation, One Day forged top-level government partnerships and the national church united for the salvation of their nation. In 2017, the momentum across the globe erupted as missionaries from 33 nations spread out across the nation of Nicaragua and reached one in every seven Nicaraguans face-to-face -face with the gospel. In 2019, One Nation, One Day expanded to a new continent with a new model built for a nation of 32 million. Demonstrating unprecedented unity in the global church, Peruvian teams joined hands with the largest team of international missionaries to date to become the change in their nation. Together, over 10,000 missionaries and volunteers reached 1.1 million Peruvians face-to-face -face in schools, clinics, clean water sites, and stadiums across the nation. The years following One Nation, One Day campaigns have been marked by measurable transformation. Government leaders collaborate to create solutions to national social issues like gang violence, domestic violence, education, and unity. Follow-up campaigns organically birthed within each nation have marked the sustainability of this new missions era. An era where the global church would unite for the salvation and transformation of entire nations. An era where every person, in every city, in every school, every home, every street corner across the nation can have a face-to-face -face encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The purpose of the Great Commission was not simply that the church would grow, but that the church would lead. The church united is gonna do what the world divided could never do. Can a nation be saved in a day? Yes, it can. We are watching whole nations be transformed in just one day. Like we said in Peru this past summer, we saw 10,000 people come together from 43 different nations, 150 organizations, just to see what God would do in this one nation. Now, that was the biggest thing we've ever done in the life of the ministry. We have now pivoted, and we are looking uh, to 2020. We really feel like God has given us a mandate to go into Los Angeles, and we are going to take 
take ground in LA July 19th through the 26th. The time for America is now. It is not later on. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of reading about it in other nations, in other places. I want it in our own country. And we are going to bring 20,000 people from all over the world to come and pound the ground in LA. And we are going to do over seven days, 20,000 people is a million man hours that we get to do the most irrational display of love the city has ever seen. And then we just locked in the UC Coliseum. This is the largest venue in Los Angeles that seats 92,000 people. We have no fear about uh, packing it out. Do you, you probably don't know this about us because I wish we could tell you about the 47 fresh water wells we dug just this year alone in Peru or the 3,000 schools we went into in five days all over the nation of Peru. I wish I had more time to tell you about the 14 medical clinics in 12 different cities, the three boats that we turned into medical triage centers and sent three different directions down the Amazon treating people and prophesying and preaching to them at the same time. I wish I could tell you more about the women's conferences, the youth movement, the political leaders, the relationships that we have built with world leaders and top government officials from the president on down. I really do. But I can tell you that what God is stirring in our heart for LA is unparalleled. It means that God is getting ready to take America. And I don't know about you, but I think we need a third great awakening right here in our own nation. Perhaps maybe if we do this right, and the church unites like we are seeing it do, that God would give us a blueprint and we could go from LA and then we can take Chicago and we can take New York and we can take Los Angeles. Because in man's wisdom, you'd probably want to go to Dallas or Atlanta or Tulsa or Oklahoma City. But we want to take on the juggernaut, the easily the most influential city in the world. We want to take on the biggest one because if that, if that falls, it is a domino effect for the rest of the world because if you touch LA, you touch the nations. There is so much strategy and prophetic significance that's going into this, and uh, we're real excited about it, just to give you an idea of what Eric and I are into. But I didn't come to just talk about vision and all the things. I came with, a, I believe, a prophetic word this morning. And so, are you ready for the word? Yeah. Now, church, you know me. I'm Mexican, okay? And we are not quiet people, all right? We're just brown and proud and loud. That's who we are, all right? So I need you to talk back to me. Can you do that? Somebody say yes. Say, come on, somebody. All right. Are you ready for the word? I believe you. Hey, I want you to turn on your Bible. And, you know, for the sake of time, uh, I'm gonna, we're going to read from two different locations. I will tell you, this is the same encounter, but it's two different locations. Uh, I, I want you to go to Matthew uh, chapter 14. Excuse me. Yes, Matthew uh, chapter 14. And then uh, if you can quickly turn over in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6, we're going to read one verse out of Mark chapter 6. We're going to begin eating in Matthew 14, and then we're going to nibble on something in Mark chapter 6, okay? But this is the same encounter, two different locations. Jesus has just finished feeding the 5,000. And as he finished feeding them, he does something very unusual. But how many know, even if God is doing something unusual, how many know we serve a purpose-filled God? No, God, you need to understand God is intentional with everything that he does in your life. Let me put you like this. If God is doing something, he is doing something on purpose. And if God is doing nothing, he is doing nothing on purpose. So being in covenant with him, whether he's doing something or he's doing nothing, he's doing it all on purpose. Are you with me? 
And so he does something unusual. This is what he says here in uh, Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. It says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Look up at me for a second. I want you to notice something. He says, I'm gonna send you out. You are gonna go to the other side. I I feel this is where the prophetic edge began to birth in me on the flight here yesterday for, t- this, for today. Is that God is bringing you to a new season. Even before we talked, God was telling me a new season is coming. And let me put it to you like this. He is taking you to the other side. I believe it's important that you recognize a page is turning in the life of this church, in the life of your marriage, in the life of your family, and in you. It is a new season now. Things have shifted. The third heavens have spoken. I'm talking about God has punched a hole in the roof of your life, and the canopy has crumbled, and he's looking over the balcony to begin to direct and begin to prophesy and declare into your life. It's time for the other side, for Destiny Church and everyone in it. But let me help you out. God does not want you bringing all your failures and all your fears into the new season. Nor does he want you bringing all your successes and all your trophies into the new season. Because I've watched trophies turn to anchors real quick. And then people get stuck in what God did in 1970 and 1980. And I honor the past fathers and mothers and moves of God. But I don't want what they had in the 90s. I want the fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit right now. You know, it's amazing to me. It says, they're going to the other side, and then he says, I'm going to send the multitudes away. I'm going to send the crowds away. You know, let me put it to you like this. You can't bring everyone with you to the other side. Not every relationship is going to make it to the other side with you. It was amazing to me when I first found the Lord, and I've seen this many times as I've been in ministry, actually 16 years. That's amazing. Uh, It's amazing to me to watch how God he uh, moves in people's lives. It, it, shocked, it, it was just, again, it was amazing to watch how tw- you could find 20 people to go to the club with, but you couldn't find one person to go to church with. Yeah, it's time to go to the other side, yeah, yeah. right? You could find 15 people to get high with, but you couldn't find one person to pray you through. Friend, it's time for God to whittle down your crowd, and it's time for you to go to the other side. Are you with me? You got me one verse in, and I feel like preaching the whole verse. All right, here we go. It keep going. Watch this. Verse 33, it says, And when he sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea. I want you to remember that. Where was the boat? It was in the? And what was in the middle of the sea? The? I want you to remember that. The boat was in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. It's right here. I want to interject Mark chapter 6, verse 48. Remember, same encounter, just two different locations. But I I find that Mark adds something a little extra that Matthew does not record. Mark chapter 6, verse 48 says this. Then Jesus saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, watch this, and would have passed them by. Did did you see that right there? And would have passed them by. That's so un-American of Jesus. Like he's not even stopping to render aid. Like he would, he sees them struggling 
and would have passed them by. Have you ever felt like God just keeps passing you by? You're watching sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so and someone else in the church get blessed or get a breakthrough in the area that you need it and you feel like God passed you by. Have you ever felt overlooked, put on the shelf, forgotten about, God changed his mind? Have you ever been in your spiritual walk or perhaps you're there now that God would have passed you by? I'm gonna explain that. Let's go back to Matthew 14 and finish this out. Verse 26. <clears throat> It says, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. But Verse 27, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter, come down, when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, of you little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat and were, came and worshiped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of the living God. Let's pray, right? Let's pray. Pray with me, church. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Father, I speak to this atmosphere and I say that you are full of faith and you are full of hope and you are full of peace and you are full of joy and I come against every limit, every restriction, every barrier, every demonic harassment I declare is broken right now in Jesus' name. Father, I speak to the seasons and I say that the right storms will come at the right time. Lord, in your timing, we are moving in to something fresh and something new. God, you are, you are not moving into our world, you are moving us into yours and help us to see things from heaven's perspective perspective so that we could be saturated in the things that you have called us to be saturated in. May we weigh heavy in the things that you're shouting and may we weigh light in the things that you're whispering and pay attention to everything else in between. Give us the ability to steward this season correctly in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone shout it. Amen. 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 I'm calling this message born for the storm. If you're taking notes, write that down. Born for the storm. I, um, I, I feel like many times God will put us in certain situations that will stretch us. I remember seeing this play out in my daughter's life. I have been married now for 15 years. Praise God for that. Uh, I have four beautiful kids. I have two boys and two girls. And if you ever met my oldest daughter, which some of you have being at YFN and all that, uh, Jasmine is 10. Uh, going on 45. Uh, Jasmine is more mature than two of her dad, okay? And I mean, the other day, I think I've said this before, but the other day she came up to me while I was watching football and, and uh, she put her arm on my chair and said, hey, dad, dad, hey, dad, listen, dad, focus on, dad. I said, what's up, baby? She said, dad, listen, how's your marriage? You guys good? Your mom good? We need to pray about anything? What's going on? I mean, she can't even spell marriage. Go over there with something, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's the type of person that she is. And so we were hosting a conference down in Dallas and uh, it was being uh, live streamed on one of the Christian uh, uh, television uh, stations. And I asked the founder, I said, what's the reach on this? And he said, you know, th there's gonna be uh, 700 million homes. That's over a billion people on planet earth that are gonna watch this broadcast. And I said, dang, that no pressure, right? That's like, Do, don't suck, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was powerful, but my job, 
was to actually emcee what was happening in the service and then run to our studio and emcee what's happening live uh, on our uh, live on our cameras. And so it was a very busy week, and we were doing this all week. And my daughter said, "Dad, I miss you." I said, "Baby, I miss you too." I said, "You know what?" Why don't you come with me, you stand with me on live TV, and then you and I will do uh, the live stuff together, and as we close out, I'll let you pray over people. I, but then I told her, I said, now Jasmine, though, th now 700 million homes, that's a billion people that are going to be watching you, so I need you to bring it strong tonight. She said, Dad, I'm ready. I said, no problem. We get in the car. I said, now, Jasmine, it's 700 million homes. It's a billion people. And I ain't nervous. I'm just telling you, this is the max. I need you bringing your A game. She said, Dad, I'm ready. We get in the green room. I said, now, Jasmine, it's 700 million homes, okay? This is a billion people, and I want you to bring something prepared. Don't be shooting from the hip. Uh, from a, I need you to go. She said, Dad, I'm ready. I'm so ready. I was ready yesterday. That's how ready I am. I'm ready. I said, no problem. We get in the studio, and, we're, and I hear the producer say, 90 seconds. I turn to Jasmine, and I say, now, Jasmine, this is 700 million homes. This is a billion people. And I need you, don't you bring that weak trash up in here. You need to speak with some strength. She said, Dad, I'm ready. 30 seconds. Now, Jasmine, this is 1 billion people, billion with the beat, 700 million homes, okay? I need you to bring it strong. And she said, Dad, I'm ready. 15 seconds. Jasmine, are you ready? She says, Dad, I don't want to do this anymore. I, I really don't want to do this anymore. And then 10 seconds. Daddy, please. Daddy, I don't want to do this no more. I don't want to do it. I don't like doing this. And I, I, I'm the type of parent that if you commit to something, you're going to do it. I ain't one of these little millennial parents that makes up all these excuses for their kid and then wonders why they want a participation trophy at the end of every semester and the end of, no, you, a W is a W in the household of Estrada and if you are gonna get a W, then you're gonna have to earn it. It don't matter what you play me in, I plan on destroying you. I don't care if you're my three-year-old and we're playing the matching game or we're playing 2K with my 12-year-old. I plan on dominating you, and that way when you get a win, you'll know the feeling of actually earning a win. Yeah, yeah. I ain't no passive parent. So I'm, so I'm like, she's like, Daddy, be there. I'm like, no, you're doing it now. Oh, you're definitely doing it now. And sure enough, they're counting down. She's screaming, crying. And they're like, five, four, <laughs> and I say, hey, everybody, thanks for joining us tonight. Man, it's been a powerful conference. Hey, I got somebody with me. Hey, Jasmine, hasn't it been an incredible conference? And she goes, oh, my gosh, Dad, it's been so good the whole time. I can't believe it. I said, Jasmine, there's some people that need to touch from God. Why don't you pray for them? She widens her stance like this, and she goes, Father, in the name of Jesus, I command the peace of heaven. And I said, wow, Jazz. I said, that was powerful. And she said, yeah, I felt a good release on that one. Someone totally got that. <laughs> it's true. I said, hey, thanks for watching. We'll see you guys tomorrow night. And the cameras go off. And she goes, I can't believe you made me do that. <laughs> you know what my daughter was learning is what I've had to learn many times is that I will never put her in a position to hurt her or embarrass her. But I will stretch her. I will grow her. I will challenge her. And I think God has even more exclusive rights to our heart that he will stretch you, that he will grow you. And when you get into a new season, I am not here to prophesy easy. I'm here to prophesy better. I'm not here to prophesy comfortable. I'm here to prophesy building and, and establishing and developing. I I'm not here to prophesy it just gets smoother. I'm here to prophesy you're going to have more strategy now. You need to learn to be born for the storm. 
And it doesn't matter what storms come on your life. Some storms are nice and some storms are not so nice. But I believe that you are born for this. And if we're going to be born for the storm, let me give you three things. Number one, walk where he tells you to walk. Walk exactly where he tells you to walk. I, I firmly believe, I mean this, I firmly believe that we have got to start walking in the literal some people would say a digital footprint, a spiritual footprint of Jesus. Because there is no way that we are going to win nations like we are doing this unless we are deeply spirit-led in the core of who we are. I'm, I'm telling you, we have to lean into God, be in his face. That way we know exactly where he's calling us to be. I, I, I think it's interesting that the first hieroglyphic, which is really the first written language, it's a picture language, you understand, but the first hieroglyphic for the word impossible was actually a man walking on water. And here you have Jesus doing the same thing. Now what's interesting to me is Jesus comes and he starts walking on the water and there's a person in this text that you start reading about, his name is Peter. And Peter, you, see many times we read the Bible and we read it too much in third person. You have to read it in first person many times because you have to read it as if you were Peter in the boat and Peter walking on the water. But what happens many times is we only read it like that. What you need to understand, believe it or not, I am Professor Estrada, is that you are reading this in a, in a first person context, which is where you get the most revelation from this text. See, what you have to understand is Peter is a fisherman by trade and fishermen have always looked at the water as an enemy because it determined how much they caught and it determined how much money they made and if they could feed their families, if they could grow their business, if they could better their life. So they were constantly at war with their enemy. So Peter is not just seeing Jesus defy science, physics, and gravity. He's literally watching Jesus walk all over his enemy. Are you seeing this? That's in his context. And I'm excited about that. But Jesus wasn't the only one to walk on water. Peter got out of the boat, and Peter got to taste a little bit of what it was like to walk all over his enemies. And I feel it's my need to remind some and inform others that Jesus has given you the authority to walk all over your insecurities and walk all over your addictions and walk all over your past and walk all over your fears and walk all over your... I'm telling you, he is not, he's interested in moving mountains, not pebbles today. He's interested in eradicating diseases, not just healing once every now and then. He's interested in getting rid of corruption and restoring a righteous order in the earth again. And some people don't want to dream like this simply because they've never before seen it done. Can I tell you, we are seeing this happen. I mean, you saw the video in 2011, we're in Honduras. And I remember being told that we could not, I was told we could not land 747s in Honduras. And the reason why is because their airport was only a category five and they needed to be a category eight. In other words, their runway was too small and I believe their terminal was too small. And they said, there's no way you can bring your teams. Well, we had already chartered 747s. You saw the picture of the plane. And so the government, the minister of tourism said, you can't come. The minister of transportation said, we're sorry, you can't come. They said, what? We told them, what would make it available to us to come? They said, you have to big us a build, build your airport. I said, no problem. We said, no problem. We can do that. Well, sure enough, the money came in 
because we dream impossible. God is not interested in doing what's possible. If it's possible, we don't need God to do it. He's interested in doing the impossible, and he is only attracted to the impossible. He only wants to be a part of the impossible. That's why we say we live the impossible. We have to get comfortable with impossibilities. Didn't you know we would extend the runway? The first 747s that ever landed in Honduras were filled with ambassadors and missionaries coming to transform a nation. Walk where he tells you to walk. And don't be ashamed if it's on water, if it's on dry land, if it's over obstacles, or if it's a land of nobody's ever been. Walk where he tells you to walk. You know, I think many times we... We have this habit of overeating in one area spiritually and therefore becoming imbalanced in another. Let me put it to you like this. We know mostly half truths, half revelation of the word most of the time. Especially today as I, wrote, as I develop leaders, I'm constantly having to help smooth this out in their life. They, they want, they, their focus is God is a good God. He's the good shepherd. He, he, he's my protector. That is all true but it is also incomplete because they're like, I, I want the lamb, the lamb of God. I want, well, he's not just the lamb. He's a lamb and a lion. Are you following me? And there are some times where the goodness of God will be your rear guard and then that lion starts to roar and you start to declare and you start to prophesy and you start to make moves in your life. Don't you dare just settle for one area and be overweighted in one area while you are lacking in the other. It's time for you to have spiritual muscle and spiritual gains in the right areas. Walk where he tells you to walk. Here's the second thing about being born for the storm. Number two, this is so important. Learn to live in the middle. No, I need to talk right here. I'm, a, I'm man, I, I'm feeling it. this. I'm just, uh, this side's waking up over here. I, I, I feel this. Learn to live in the middle. We don't like the middle. Of it, the, unless it's an Oreo, we don't like the middle. We, we just don't like it. We like starting because we're full of vision and enthusiasm. And then we love finishing because we, we, we love the sense of accomplishment and, or relief that it's over. But we hate the middle. Why do we hate that? I said it last night. Because it's full of the, uh, the unpredictable. It's full of the unanticipated. It's full of what you did not see happening, the money you did not see spending, the people you did not see leaving or coming. It's full of the strategy you didn't have yet. It's full of the things that where you're having to pray through a breakthrough. You knew how to start, and you know what it's going to look like when you end. But have you noticed God doesn't always share the middle with you? Because you've got to learn to walk where he tells you to walk. And what happens is most people give up too soon in the middle. This is why we have marriages that don't finish. This is why we have businesses that go bankrupt because they didn't know how to handle their middle. Come on. And then because we don't know how to handle the middle, what ends up happening is we become jaded and now we have a negative experience that influences our faith and we, don't, can't, we can't dream past starting anymore. So we, set, we, go, we don't even start anything, we just live comfortably. We're spiritually active, we serve in the church, but we're not causing transformation. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, Right? We don't even get off the G of the go so many times because we've been so wounded or so hurt or so marred and so embarrassed by our failure. I'm here to wake you up and say, get back in the middle. I'm here to shake you and provoke you and tell you, you deserve the middle chance again. Take the middle ground, uncompromising, press forward the middle. You know, I, I said this yesterday in the leader session. I, 
Have you ever been in, you know, I, I've noticed this, Pastor Lawrence, Pastor Hayes, you know this. Many times people come in my office when they're going through something in their life and they'll say, Pastor, I'm in the middle of a storm. I'm in the middle of a crisis. I'm in the middle of an issue or a problem. I, I, I remember one time I was, in, um, I was in Guatemala and I was having breakfast and I remember as I was in the middle of having breakfast, all of a sudden the table starts to shake. I mean, it's like, it's shaking just like this. It's just real light. And have you ever noticed something that you're pretending not to notice, but you notice it? Have you just been, <laughs> you're just trying to laugh your way to, <laughs> I don't notice it, but I'm noticing it. And then I like, and then it starts to shake even more violently. It just starts to go even harder and harder. And it's, listen, I don't know what tables do in Oklahoma, but if the rest of the world, they don't do that on their own. Well, maybe in California, but everywhere else, no. And, I'm, and then it starts shaking, the chandelier starts shaking. So I think you, I'm getting freaked out because things are moving on the table, the cabinets are clapping, and so I didn't know what else to do, so I grabbed a banana. I don't know why I grabbed a banana, but your boy grabbed a banana, all right? And then, because it didn't, I was holding a banana like this, and I'm shaking now, I can't even stop. And then, I, I'll never forget, I, I thought, man, maybe if I eat the banana, I, I, it'll stop. I, listen, everybody's got to pass. And so I, I start peeling this banana, but the problem is I can't put this banana in my mouth because I'm shaking so much and I get banana all over my face. And then finally I said, hey, doesn't somebody else notice stuff is moving up in here? And the pastor leans back and says, Pastor Chris, listen, that's not even a 5.0. We're good. Don't even worry about it. What? Why was my reaction a lot different than his response? Because he had been through the middle of one before. I'm here to tell you, you need middle people in your life. You know what I have found about middle people? They are, not, they, they are not quick to judge. They are not critics. They are not cynical because they've been through the middle of some junk before. They've been through the middle of their marriage almost dying. They've been through the middle of their kids running away. They've been through the middle of a medical crisis. They have been through the middle of things before. And the reason why this is so important is if you sur don't surround yourself, people will convince you you don't belong in the middle. How else do you get to the end unless you go through the middle? The Bible says, verse 24, it says, the boat was in the middle of the storm. Now, I have heard this passage, this text preached a thousand times. Uh, I've heard it from multiple different uh, contexts and perspectives. And as a good preacher, you want to give everything a voice. In other words, if I, if the, if I want the... If I want to give everything a voice and preach this passage right, uh, if the, in other words, if the water could talk, what would the water say? If the storm could talk, what would the storm say? If Jesus could expound on what he was teaching in this moment, what would he say? But what I have never heard is if the boat could talk, what would the boat say? So we're going to have some Botox up in here this morning. I'm not talking Botox for all the plastic people, all right? I'm talking about boat talks, Okay. Notice it says, watch this, verse 24. It says, the boat was in the middle. Notice what it does not say. It never says the disciples were in the middle of this storm. It says the boat was. Here's my question. Who put them in this boat? If you remember, verse 22, and Jesus made them get in this boat. Now, notice the words made them, forced them. Did not say, oh, just get in a boat. Made them get in this particular boat. Now, if I know Jesus, like I think I know Jesus, he did not find the most safe, well-built, 
had all the bells and whistles, had the biggest 80-foot yacht. Not, he didn't find none of that. He probably found the most janky, sketchy, dodgiest boat with all the holes in it. He probably went down to the dock and went like, too big, too nice, too safe. Yes. Guys, this one. And Peter probably steps it. Listen, Jesus, I'm a professional fisherman. There's no way. Pete, get in the boat. Pete, get in the boat. Get, get in this boat. <laughs> Mama on Sunday. Get in the boat. And he made them get in the boat. Do you, do you see that? Why did he do this? If, the, if there was probably somebody in the boat, like the tax collectors, who's saying, we can't make it. We're not going to go to the other side. We're not going to make it through the middle. If the boat could talk, the boat would have interrupted this kind of language and said, ah, excuse me. He put you in my boat, which means he chose me to take you to the other side. You are not in this storm. I am in this storm, and he chose me to protect you from this storm, and I am going to take you to the other side because his word is forever watched over in heaven to complete it. I am taking you to the other side. It's not an accident you're in the neighborhood you're in. It's not an accident you're in the marriage you're in. It's not an accident you have the business or the strategy or the dream that you have. It's not an accident. That is your boat. Notice what else it says. It says, the boat was in the middle. Everybody say the middle. Very rarely in the New Testament will you have a location given to you. Very rarely like this. It says the boat was in the middle. Well, what sea were in the middle of? They were in the Sea of Galilee. It is 13 miles long. It is 8 miles wide. And they are crossing the width of it. So they are literally in the middle. Again, somebody who we've seen in our life who will probably tell us, you need to go back. Go back to where it's safe. No doubt somebody in this bus said, we got to go back. At least we know that half is safe. If the boat could talk, the boat would say, uh, excuse me. Uh, sorry, i got to interrupt the conversation because the spirit of stupid is getting the boat. Um, I, I, I want to remind you that you're in the middle. And it would take the same amount of energy, the same amount of passion, the same amount of strength, the same amount of prayer as it is to go backwards, as it is to go forward. Why would you trade your future for familiar? You might as well keep going because you're in the middle. Man, I could take this 30 more different ways, but I think you're getting it. You know, I, I, my, wife, my family and I just uh, took a cruise. Thank you, Jesus, for a vacation. And I, I remember we were, when we were booking the cruise, I had had someone tell me, Pastor Chris, you don't want to go, when you, when you, get, when you go on a cruise, you want to pick the season that you set sail. This is what they said. Because depending on the time of the year you set sail will determine the price you pay. I hope you're hearing me with spiritual hearing this morning. If you choose to go when it's guaranteed good weather, you will get to where you're going, but you'll pay a higher price for it. If you choose easy, comfortable, and convenient, you'll still get there, but you might take longer, and it might cost you more than it necessarily does. But if you don't mind water in your face and wind in your hair and risky season but a faith that is so strong it doesn't matter what storm comes on in your life you will still get to where you're going but you will pay a lower cost you know what else they told me about they said you know what pastor chris you don't want to stay on top of the boat you want to stay on the bottom of the boat i said why watch this they said because the lower you are the less you'll feel I hope you're hearing me this morning. My goodness, I hope you're hearing me this morning. I have found that people who try to outdo, outgrind, outbuild, outnumber, outrun, outshine everyone else, they feel more of the storm than the people who know how to stay humble and stay low. Come on. 
Do you remember Jesus was in another storm in Mark chapter 4? I'm sorry, John chapter 4. Do you remember this? It says, and he was asleep in the what? Bottom of the boat, not the top. The disciples were on the top. They wake him up, and he gets up, and he rebukes the waves, and all of a sudden the waves dissipate. Why? Because he was where he needed to be. I think many times we're in a storm, and the storm obviously talks the loudest sometimes. As heaven goes silent, but you're bound to your commitment. You have enough spiritual discipline and focus on the inside of you. No, God said we're going to the other side. I don't care what kind of storms on this water. God said we're going to the other side. But I think what happens is many times we feel like that verse in Mark chapter 6, verse 48. And Jesus would have passed them by. Can I help you out? Jesus is not passing you by. It's impossible for him to do that. That's why he said, it's better that I go so that the Holy Spirit can come. He was literally saying, I am taking the limitations for the access of God. If, you, if I stay on the earth, you have to come to me. But if I send him, he can speak Chinese and he can speak Portuguese and he can be Afrikaans and Spanish and English and he can be all over the earth at one time. You will have access to him. You, he's never passing you by. Can I put it to you like this? Jesus is not ignoring you. He is waiting on you. It wasn't until... Honestly, I feel like this is for someone. It wasn't until Peter said, Lord, if that's you, command me to come to you. Then God spoke. And the last thing, if we're going to be born for the storm, number three, answer the invitation. I love this text. Because I believe sometimes we want, we want a life-changing message or moment. The truth is you just need one word. Just one word, one authorized, anointed, in due season, heavenly delivered word has the capacity and the authority to transform your life. You just need one word. Peter got one word, come. Now, I believe in the literacy of the Bible. I believe that if, 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 uh, if it says that Jesus and Peter walked on the water, I believe they literally walked on water. If it says Jesus was literally dead for three days and got up out of the grave, I believe life returned to his body and he physically got out of that grave. If Jonah was in a whale, he was physically in a whale. If three Hebrew children were thrown in a fire yet did not smell like smoke after they got out, I believe they did not smell like smoke like they got out. If David decapitated a giant, he really did decapitate a giant. If Daniel slept in the lion's den, then Daniel slept in a lion. I believe in the literacy of the Bible. But I believe that there was extra under Peter's feet. I believe he didn't walk just and defy, again, the, the laws of physics, gravity, and even science. I believe that he walked on the invitation. Come. I am here to deliver an invitation to this church. Will you walk into a new season? Will you walk into the prophetic promises? I believe there are seeds in this ground that have been waiting for this to be watered in this season. And as a result of it being watered properly, that it's going to sprout like never before. Do you know that they actually, this is a prophetic word I was giving. You guys were like reading my mail in the car on the way over here. I love your pastors. They're like, yeah, we, we prophesy a little bit. And they're like reading my life. Do you know that there is such a thing as overseeding. 
I'm in Oklahoma. Come on, this is a farming community, right? There's such a thing as overseeding. And what I have learned as I was studying about sowing and reaping, I have learned that when you overseed, the reason why you overseed in most areas, they overseed because there are storms that are guaranteed on those areas. So some of the storm might grab some of that seed, but they overseed it two or three times more. And then what happens is many times, if they don't have enough seed to put in the soil, they just replow the soil. And because they have replowed the soil, guess what happens? They have seed in that soil, and it was positioned properly in the right season. They didn't even need to add seed. They just replowed the same soil, and it still birthed a fresh crop. I feel like that's what's on Destiny Church. Right here, man, Destiny, I feel this right now. I think over the next three years, as you replow, you will see harvest that you thought should have came five years ago is gonna come in the next three years. I feel like over the next, even the next 18 months, you're gonna see the replowing. And I'm not just talking about for the church. I'm talking about for your marriage, for your children, for your finances. I'm talking about for your purpose and your destiny, for your neighbors, for your extended family. It's time to replow. But we have got to answer the invitation. Can I tell you, many times we don't know what kind of storm we're in. I think many times we get our storms mixed up. If you notice, we have a record of Jesus being just in two storms. Mark uh, 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 chapter 6 and Mark chapter 4. It's Mark 4. Mark chapter 4. In one storm, he rebukes it. In the other storm, he walks on it. So you need to, we need to be able to discern what storm do I rebuke and what storm do I walk on? Let me close with this, if the worship team wants to come back up. I believe that you know of a storm you are supposed to rebuke, I want you to hear me right now, is meaning, in, in Mark chapter four it says, and Jesus noticed this storm had an unusual weather pattern and he rebuked. That word rebuked is the word they deal with when you translate from the, the, the Aramaic to the Greek or the Greek to the English. It is the word, only the reserved word used when you deal with the demonic. So that word rebuked, every time they had a demonic manifestation in the Bible, that's the same Hebrew word they would use for rebuke. So Jesus noticed this is unusual weather pattern, so he rebukes it because he knows what he's dealing with. If you have unusual patterns going on in your life, that is a, an indicator I can rebuke this storm. All right, let me put this in, in, in context. Two years ago, you guys remember this, I tore my ACL. I was playing basketball thinking I was 20-something still, which I still look at, thank God. But I, I, I remember I was playing basketball and I tore my ACL. Uh, four weeks later, my mother-in-law goes into the hospital and is on, literally on her deathbed. She's in a coma on a breathing machine. An infection got into her. Doctor says she should not have lived, and she goes in for six weeks. Then right after that, my daughter, my youngest daughter, Carissa Diamond, who just turned six this last Sunday, she, she went into what would be one of four laser surgeries on her face. I am telling you, it seemed like, well, I'm not even telling you all the financial stuff all the personal stuff, all the, uh, all the ministry stuff, all the politics, all the pressures. It was just that. It just seemed like one thing after another thing after another thing after another. Have you had a season or probably you're in one where it's just this breaks and this person gets mad and this thing gets disgruntled and this gets disturbed and this gets disrupted and this gets distorted. It's just one thing after another thing. Friend, that's a storm you're supposed to rebuke. But then there are storms that you're supposed to walk through. You say, Pastor Chris, how do I know the storms I walk through? I'll tell you how you know. Because you can walk through them and you don't lose your peace. 
You don't lose your joy. You don't lose your faith. In fact, you are most likely increasing in all of these areas. Your faith is growing. Your hope is growing. Your vision is growing. The insight from God's word, the revelation is growing. You feel like you're drinking from a fire hydrant and not a water hose because he's just with you. You feel like he's closer. That is a storm you have authority to walk through. The problem is we just need to recognize what storm we're in. Would you stand up with me? I believe many times... We are rebuking storms we should be walking through and trying to walk through storms we should be rebuking. You want to know how I know this? Because I've done it too well and too good and too often. And I really feel like I came to help liberate some people this morning. You know, there might be some people in this room, you're in a storm. You say, Pastor Chris, it took everything in me just to get to church this morning. The only way you can have authority in these storms and know when to do is when you have a life-giving relationship with Jesus. When you make him the Lord, which means master and savior of your life. When you do that, guess what happens? It says all authority now becomes yours because you're now a child of God. You are now one of his. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, you're saying, I want that life. I'm tired of the addictions. I'm tired of the brokenness. I'm tired of the pain. I want that. If that's you with every eye bowed, every head bowed, every eye closed, you say, Pastor Chris, I need to give my life to Jesus. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Who am I talking to? If there's anyone in here this morning, I'm gonna take the next five seconds and just look. Okay, I wanna pray for people who are in storms. If you say, Pastor Chris, I'm in a storm and it's one thing after another thing, after another thing, after another thing, or you're in a storm, but you're not losing peace, you're not losing joy, but you want some agreement to come alongside you today. If you say, Pastor Chris, I'm in a storm, would you pray for me? It may be nothing nobody knows about. It could be mentally, emotionally, could be outside of your life, could be inside of your house, could be anywhere, but you're in a storm. Would you raise your hand? Who am I talking to? Because I want to pray for you. Wow, look at all of these hands. I want to pray, and I want to begin praying real quick. The next 60 seconds, we're going to pray over these two groups of people. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for those who are walking through the unusual patterns of this life, where the enemy has been attacking, where he's been trying to take away, where circumstances have been screaming louder than our faith. It's been one thing after another thing after another thing. Well, we square up on that storm, and we rebuke you right now in Jesus' name. We tell you it is over. It is done. It is finished. It is gone. Now, you will not have our family. You will not have this church. You will not have our finances. You will not have our health. You are broken now in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, I pray for those that are walking through storms and they are watching as their spiritual gains and their spiritual muscle is growing. Father, I pray for a double portion of your peace, of your joy, of your greatness, of your goodness. I pray for fresh revelation fresh vision, fresh life. I know that you're strong. I know that you're spiritually disciplined. I know that you haven't lost your footing, but I know the storm can scream louder. I know what it's like to have wind in my face, water in my face, and unsure about the next season. But I declare to you, God is with you in this storm. God is walking on the water, and God is still extending an invitation. I don't care how bad it's been, how dirty your sin was, how big your mistake was, God has not changed his mind about you. 
Storms are not a sign of God's approval. It's a sign that you're ready for a next level war. You're ready for next level anointing. You're ready for next level authority. Father, I pray over these precious people. I declare they are born for the storm. They're going to replow the ground, and we are going to see harvests that should have been in yesteryear are going to come over the next 18 months or three years in the mighty name of Jesus. Come on, and everyone shout it. God bless you guys.